Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz All right, Radio. All right, welcome back on Fizz Radio. Been a little bit of a hiatus here as the world has been turning upside down. It feels like we've been gone for a month on Fizz Radio, just based on how time is going right now. But it's actually been a little over a week here. It's Tim Leonard, Jaron May this week. We're working from home, working remotely doing the best we can. And Jaron, we actually have a ton to talk about this week, even though the sports world is shutting down. Syracuse's sports world has had a pretty busy week. Yeah, surprisingly. I mean, most people and most athletes and teams uh, around the country have nothing to talk about. And Syracuse basketball thought, hey, since no one wants to talk, let's make some news. And everyone's going away. Um, and that means that there are some gaps to fill. And that's what we're here to talk about. Exactly. It's not necessarily good news. The transfer portal is happening for Syracuse. I guess it was somewhat to be expected, especially at the guard position, considering Gerard and Buddy Beheim were underclassmen last year. They're both coming back into their starting roles, and you'd imagine Gerard will have that point guard starting role for three years, Buddy Beheim for two years. But Goodine went from into the transfer portal and already to another team since we've last talked. He's now with Mm -hmm. Providence, which I think of all the people – Obviously, the other two are Jalen Carey and Howard Washington that have entered the transfer portal. There were some rumors of Robert Braswell. He seems likely to come back, according to Mike Waters, who spoke with him, of course, at Syracuse.com. And also, Brendan Paul has entered the portal as well. But we kind of knew of that for a while. He made it official, uh, the preferred walk-on for Syracuse. So, of all the guys... It doesn't change my opinion of next year's team too much, but I'd say Goodine is probably the hardest one to lose because... He was your highest rated recruit in the freshman class last year, and you just never really got to see his potential. And the fact that he got swooped up so quickly by Providence adds to the fact that, as we know, he does have a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a good player, and you got to give it to him. He found, I think, at least time will tell, but it seems like Providence is a good fit for him. He's a Massachusetts guy. He's much closer to home with Providence. They are kind of a guard driven team and they can develop a lot um, of guards whether it be your shooting ability your dribbling ability your passing ability they have developed some very good point guards shooting guards combo guards in the past so that seems like a pretty good fit for him what doesn't seem what doesn't surprise me is the fact that Syracuse is losing so many of their guards because the way that Jim Beheim kind of treated this season where he when on a regular basis, it was only Joe Girard and Buddy Bayheim playing. There was no, I mean, Jalen Carey got injured at the beginning, but Bryson Goodine barely got some time. Then he dealt with some injuries. And, and then you look at Howard Washington too, and he had some troubles and he didn't get so much too much playing time. So when you look at this, it's not very surprising, uh, but it is something that your Syracuse is going to be losing a lot next year. And now they have some holes to fill in, and that's either going to come through transfers or through new guys signing with the team, and they are two recruits for the season um, for the upcoming class. So now it's all transfers, and that's kind of what's going on right now in the sports world. And we'll get into the transfer market a little bit later on here on Fizz Radio. As always, you can find us on SoundCloud and follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. But 
I think the larger discussion here, you kind of hit on it there, is the Bayheim playing time thing. Because this is something where if you're going to recruit a lot, and he even admitted to the Daily Orange, there was a good article from the Daily Orange on Howard Washington and sort of his decision to leave. And there are a couple interesting pointers there. One was that Jim admitted that he over-recruited at the point guard spot to Howard Washington's family, according to the Daily Orange, because A, he didn't really know what Howard Washington's status was a couple years ago, obviously, when he had that stroke. So his health concerns came up. He over-recruited, he said. And according to this article, it says Jim was the one who approached Howard about transferring and brought up the idea. So he knew that there wasn't much of a path there for Howard Washington. We should mention these guys are all just in the transfer portal. So there is a world they could still come back. It doesn't seem likely that any of these guys will. The only guy that we know definitely won't come back is Goodheim because he's on to Providence now. So the, the larger discussion, though, is the playing time thing. And this has been a thing for a while now. And if you're only going to play seven guys and you've got 12 of them on scholarship, then a lot of people are going to leave because playing time's huge for college athletes. Jalen Carey someone who was a very highly rated ESPN 100 recruit. And the odd thing is, Losing Carey and Goodine, that's your top recruits in the past two cycles now that are gone because of transferring. And you add that to Matt Moyer and Torian Thompson, who are struggling to kind of find their own fit and back in the transfer portal again now. But the list is growing, and it's going to be continue to grow because this is a playing time issue that Jim Beheim is not really going to change, we don't think. But this is going to happen if you go about it that way. I mean, it's almost like Jim Beheim isn't a good recruiter. It kind of seems like he has issues recruiting people. The thing is, yeah, he got two really good players in Goodine and and Jalen Carey. He could have used them much better when they were on the roster, Um, but he didn't, and he wasted those talents. And sure, you could have said Joe Girard is playing better than Bryson Goodine. I would agree with you. I think Joe Girard had an amazing freshman season, and his potential probably is higher than Bryson Goodine. But if you're not good, if you know that you have two really solid point guards or three or four really good just combo guards on your roster or coming in, then stop recruiting in that position. Start looking at your biggest issue right now for Syracuse (laughs) is the center. And right now you had Pascal Chukwu and Brahma Sidibe in the past two seasons. You haven't seen a true big man come into Syracuse for a while. Since Christmas, and he's yeah. still going after right since Christmas. I mean, you can look back at Derek Coleman, Daywan Coleman, um, but with all of those, those were back then. And maybe he was looking for the big guys back then. Now may, he might be thinking, all right, this this basketball game is trying to turn into a guard driven shoot the three type of basketball. But the thing is, you can get fifty guards and still be really weak in the center position, and that's why you lose games. And then all of those great talents that you got at the guard position will just transfer out of Syracuse and then that leaves you shorthanded where you look at the upcoming rotation and I know we'll touch on this later but the rotation is more is even slimmer next year than this year you played seven six kind of uh, rotation players game in and game out this year and now next year you're looking at five maybe six right I saw some funny tweets that were saying 
Jim Beheim may be onto something here. Maybe he's thinking, oh, I, I don't have to get any complaints about not playing my bench when I don't have a bench. And <laughs> now he's exactly. lost four players, if you count Brendan Ball here, to the transfer portal. But he's got that going for him. And we're recording this on Thursday. The big news that came out on Thursday was Seth Towns related. And obviously he's the Harvard transfer, former Ivy League player of the year that Syracuse is after hard, after very hard. We'll give you some news on Seth Towns after the break and his chances of coming to Syracuse because he's someone that would be huge if the Orange could get him to kind of fill that Elijah Hughes void, which we assume will be up this year if he goes to the NBA draft. That's next on Fizz Radio. Okay, we welcome you back to Fizz Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Saturday morning on the Score 1260. We'll be here once a week throughout however long this lasts to try to provide a little bit of a distraction through these uncertain times here. It's Tim Leonard, Jaron May this week. We just got done talking about the transfer portal and Syracuse's mass exodus, losing four players when you count Brendan Paul the walk-on. But now we're going to talk about Seth Towns because we're recording this on Thursday. Our pal Matthew Gutierrez over at The Athletic had a report that came out, and unfortunately for Syracuse fans listening, it's some more bad news regarding transfer portal topics. And Seth Towns, who obviously is from Harvard and has been linked to Syracuse, or at least Syracuse has expressed interest for a while, is now basically down to Duke and Ohio State. This is according to Matthew Gutierrez and a source that he knows close to that situation. And Duke kind of swooped in late on Seth Towns, and obviously there is somewhat of a connection there because Harvard's head coach Tommy Amaker used to play for Coach K and coached under Coach K as well. So tough news for Syracuse fans, Jaron, because we've been down this road before with Jordan Tucker and other players where Duke's Duke and they can swoop in late, and then all of a sudden they kind of have that trump card. Yeah, so right now Towns is fighting between or deciding between home where he's a Columbus, Ohio native and go to Ohio state or choose Duke, one of the best teams in the country. Now, the thing that you have to think about for him is if he goes to Duke, will he get that playing time? Yeah. And I think that's the only card that Syracuse can use when they're trying to battle for these top prospects, because a lot of these prospects or a lot of these transfers rather are looking at the Kansases and the Kentuckys and the Dukes and like the big, big names in Syracuse basketball that if you transfer, you're going to be a step behind the guys that already have a couple of years in that program. And unless you're really, really good, you're probably not going to have a huge impact on day one. So with Towns, when you're trying to decide between Ohio State and Duke, it might make a little more sense than Ohio's, to go to Ohio State than Duke because that's your hometown. It's not as big of a program where you can probably get in and fit right away. But either way, when you bring it back to Syracuse, it's a really big loss because he was averaging over 16 points per game um, in 2017 when he was the Ivy League player of the year 2017-2018. Um, yeah. And he also shot over 40% from three. Uh, and he was six seven. He's basically the fill-in for Elijah Hughes. He's not as good as Hughes, but he could have been a pretty good fill-in for that gap until Syracuse could recruit someone um, to be the next Elijah Hughes. But he could he could have been easily the next Hughes slash uh, battle slash yeah. whoever you else you want to compare him to. It, he would have been the perfect fit. And that is why I think 
maybe he was somewhat interested in Syracuse originally is because of the playing time thing. Because all these other teams that were on his list, when you look at Maryland, and as you said, now it's down to Ohio State and Duke, and Kansas was involved at some point, Villanova was involved. Like These are all better programs right now than Syracuse. And we'll get into a larger discussion on Syracuse as a program here in a moment. But for Towns, I would think Ohio State is probably the front runner. It doesn't really matter now that he's not coming to Syracuse. He really could have changed what Syracuse could have been next year because when you look at the depth chart now, the good news is Robert Braswell, we think, is coming back according to what he said to Mike Waters in a conversation this week. And Mike had a good article at Syracuse.com. And if Braswell comes back, that adds some forward depth. But Braswell, to me, like of all the other guys that were in conversation of transferring, it makes sense that he would come back. Assuming he gets healthy, he will, you'd think, have a window to earn some playing time there if Elijah Hughes does go. And there's a lot of what ifs here, but I think we all agree Elijah Hughes is probably going to go to the draft. So then for Syracuse, you're looking at four returning starters and you slide Gary A into the starting lineup. But the biggest concern really for me, and I can't imagine myself saying the biggest concern wouldn't be center up until maybe the last three, four weeks of the season when Sidibe did start (laughs) to show some signs. Now that doesn't mean I'm completely bought in on him, but I think the biggest concern now is scoring and offense after having a top 20 offense last year, you had Hughes and you had battle the year before as that guy that could be an isolation guy when the shot clock's going down or give you 20 a night, be consistently that guy that can make shots down the stretch. When we saw no Hughes in the second half of Miami and the full game really against NC state teams could allocate some more resources towards guarding buddy Bayheim. Buddy Bayheim didn't do much. He's a great number two option. Not sure he's going to be ready to be that number one guy next year. And if you don't have a number one guy and you lose Hughes' three-point shooting, I'm worried offensively next year. Because the entire weight is on Buddy Bayheim's shoulders. I mean, he has the entire offense. And, yeah, he could take another big step. When When you look at his freshman campaign to his sophomore campaign, a huge improvement for Buddy Bayheim. He could make that same type of step next year, but even if he does, I at, at this point when we are recording this today, I don't have enough confidence in Buddy Beheim to be your number one scoring option on a team that you would want to go and make it to the NCAA tournament uh, because then your number two is Joe Girard. And yes, he can score at times, but he's been very spotty um, in the past. And then you look down the list. I mean, who's number three? Who's your third? If you shut down those two guys, who else scores? You can say, is it Dolajai? Is it is it Gary A? Can Gary A make a step? Um, I think he could. You just don't. But, and he yeah. could. You don't know what you're getting getting out of uh, Kadari Richmond. He could come in and be solid. Woody Newton could be solid again. Like you said, if Robert Braswell gets back and is healthy enough to be a twenty minute player each game he could have an impact as well but those are all a lot of ifs and right now you don't want to be having that if game Um, so it's a little scary if you're a Syracuse fan you wish you could have got someone like Towns Um, and there are some other transfers out there but you just don't really hear anything in the media right now that says any of these guys are looking at Syracuse yeah I think it's weird because they did just lose three players that we thought were going to be a part of next year's team. But to me, the issue is not depth still considering what we know of Jim Beheim and how he plays his bench. 
I mean, there's still going to be players on the roster right now. You look at someone like John Bolajak or Jesse Edwards or Woody Newton, one of those freshmen you just mentioned, like they might not play next year because Bayheim traditionally plays seven or eight guys and there's no reason to believe he's not going to. And it doesn't take that long to get to seven or eight guys. If Braswell does come back, that gives you six right away on top of the five starters. And mm-hmm. I mean, they'll probably play, they'll have to play Kadari Richmond because he's your only backup guard now. That That yeah, is an issue a, that, you a problem. that you don't have a backup point guard. And Richmond is 6'6". He could play some forward to you for you as well. He's a little bit versatile. But after Richmond, you get to seven, you need at least one backup center, I would think. So you're looking at Jesse Edwards more than likely. But my point is, like, if they add a transfer and it's a grad transfer that can immediately play next year, and there are some out there that we can talk about, it becomes, like, they have to – they're only going to come here if they have a promise that they're going to play. And we talk about Patrick Tepe and guys at the center position. Jordan Burner is a guy from Yale who's just recently entered the transfer portal. No reason to think Syracuse is after him, but he's someone that could fit that billing. And there's others out there. The center position with Sidibe playing better at the end of the season, it doesn't feel like there's that opening in the starting lineup or that opening right away as maybe we anticipated. Now, I do think they should still bring in a center just because right. they don't have anyone over 220 outside of Quincy Garrier. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, Sidibe had a solid end of the year, his last maybe five or six games. But outside of that, in the first 20, 25, it was atrocious. So yeah. I think there's a little recency bias in that where I still think that they need to get someone. And this is a name that just came out today on Thursday recording this it was thursday afternoon that morris udeze from uh wichita state announced that he's entering the transfer portal. they've lost their whole um, team nothing you think syracuse has it bad I, wichita state's lost like i think it's seven guys now six guys it's crazy it's i think it's six of their of their scholarship players have now transferred so that's that's a team that's absolutely crazy there's nothing that links udeze with syracuse um but when you just look at his numbers, 6'8", 240. Not the tallest guy, but he's got some muscle on him, and it's it's something that most Syracuse big men don't have. Um, he plays the center position. He might be a little undersized against going up against some of the top ACC big men, uh, but he's still a pretty big guy that could come in and help. Um, not this year, I mean, unless the NCAA grants him immediate, but he would have to sit out a year. Um, because he's only, let me do the math, only gonna, going to be a sophomore. Okay. Um, so we'll see with that. But it's a, it's a body that could come up in conversations, I think should come up, but who knows if Syracuse even knows that he's, on, he's out there in the portal. Yeah, I mean, I guess Jim Beheim, all he can do right now is kind of check out the transfer portal, given what's going on in the world and the fact that they can't really huddle up for practices and stuff. And another thing, I was reading an article from Matthew Gutierrez, who, of course, kind of broke this news on Seth Towns over at The Athletic, and he had a good Q&A with Jim Beheim. And one thing that kind of stood out from that article, a couple things, is he did think Quincy Garrier could make a step and score like 12 points, nine rebounds, somewhere in that range next year. But he also brought up how this could hurt the international players for Syracuse in their development. When you think of Dolajai, Jesse Edwards, and guys like that, and even Sidibe, because they're now not able to practice on the Syracuse campus over the summer. 
and they don't have access to gyms and it's a little bit harder for them to maybe work out. He said one thing they can do is eat a lot right now, which they need to do as we know, but you'd like for them to be putting on muscle ideally. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I don't think that's the biggest issue, which yeah, it does hurt that they can't be on campus working out as a team, that type of stuff. Uh, But Bayheim in the past couple summers has, have, has employed um, not really employed. That's, that's, probably might get him in trouble but sent his players to different types of trainers out there uh whether it be overseas or somewhere else in the u.s to focus on specific things in the summer um so once this whole coronavirus pandemic kind of calms down um and they can get out and start to play again that could be something um but Right now, there's nothing that Syracuse and Jim Beheim can really do other than start making some phone calls for these transfers. He should be. Uh, he should be starting to look at some different names out there. Just look at the portal, even if he has no connection to them. You're Jim, you're Jim freaking Beheim. Just go out there and call <laughs> some people and try to get someone on your roster because right now you got basically no one. You need at least two transfers to fill in some of these gaps that you have um, because you have a lot of them right now. Yeah, it's looking bleak for next year, man. I mean, they don't have an ESPN 100 guy outside of Kadari Richmond. So, and Richmond's kind of barely. Who knows if he'll even stay in at this point. So, that just says, I mean, talent talent level speaking, that's a lot different than UNC and Duke and obviously those teams in the ACC that you're competing against. But we'll continue to monitor the transfer market, the transfer portal. You can follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz. When we come back, We're going to have some fun and play an interesting game. Think in your head right now as we go to break, 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 10 being reserved for the Blue Bloods, the Dukes, maybe one is a DePaul or a Boston College that is struggling right now. Where does Syracuse rank on that scale as a program as we can evaluate them in the offseason right now? We will give you our numbers 1 to 10 when we come back on Fizz Radio. Okay, well, welcome you back to Fizz Radio. And now we're going to have a fun discussion on the state of the Syracuse basketball program. Kind of a hot topic right now. We've got some time to evaluate here in the offseason, reflect on what's happening, take a look at the depth chart for next year. And obviously with all the transfers, it may be on a bit of a sour note right now. But Tim Leonard, Jaron May right now, what we're going to do, and you can play along with us, you can tweet at us at Orange Fizz and give us your number. We're going to make this into an article format and put it on our website, orangefizz.net, for later in the week and later in the month as well. But, uh, Jaron, we're going to have some fun. One to ten here, ten being the highest, ten being what you would consider probably a Duke or a team that's going to be in the national title conversation each and every year, one being the lowest, of course, what is your number for where Syracuse basketball is at right now? Are you ready for this? Uh, I I'm, have... I'm ready. I know you're out on them, so I know this is okay. going to be rough. And I'm pretty yes. rough, too. So their program right now, and I have a long explanation, but I'll give you the number and I'll just let it seep in. Uh, a three. So their oh, program, Syracuse That's lower than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Syracuse basketball is at a three right now uh, for a couple reasons. Number one. It's not a historical look at the program. If you were to rank this program in terms of every single other program in the history of college men's basketball, they would be much higher than a three. They're not Duke. They're not Kentucky, but they're not a three. 
Uh, and on Next our scale, program, you, technically, exactly. So into, they're not they're yeah. not a bad historical program. But when you look at them at this moment in time, after the 2019-2020 season, everything's falling apart because they were sure in the past couple of years they've made some sweet 16s. But that's because they've been lucky and have kind of just have some weird spark in March that can get them to go on a pretty decent run. But up until March, they're a pretty wishy-washy team. They're always on the bubble. Um, and now, after this season, you've seen a lot of issues. So number one, Jim Beheim, and we touched on this earlier, Jim Beheim is not a good recruiter, at least in this day of age. He used to be a good one. He used to bring in top talents. And he's bringing in maybe one tops two uh, top 100 ESPN top 100 recruits each season. Uh, but that's not that great, especially for him being Jim Beheim. And to, uh, I so mean, to play recruit. devil's advocate, there is Dior Johnson who's coming, but will but, he come? That's a big question. Now, I don't think Dior Johnson is coming to Syracuse because no. Jim Beheim, I think he's coming because he said uh, when he first committed, one of his quotes was, I'm coming not because I don't want to. I don't want to play the. Uh, I don't want to play with the Blue Bloods. I want to beat them. So he's basically giving a backhanded compliment to Syracuse of I want to come to your team because I want to beat all the good teams, aka your team isn't that good. Um, and I don't think Jim Beheim had that big of a say in that. I think Dior Johnson is coming to Syracuse knowing that Beheim will probably be out by the time he gets here, or at least during his tenure at Syracuse. It's interesting. He uh, really hasn't mentioned Beheim a lot in that sort of Players exactly. Tribune style thing he posted. All he said of Beheim was that I used to play with his son. He didn't really say, like, I can't wait to play for the Hall of Fame or anything of that notion. Yeah. So recruiting down the hill, um, just when you look at their stats, I mean, from going back to after 2014, after that 25-0 and season, uh, they're only winning 58% of their games. And you can't be a great program if you're winning just over 50% of your games. Um, now, you also look at now, there are, because of the bad recruiting, your transfers and your talent are all just going away after a season. Um, so the state of the program is not bringing in talent, losing the talent that you do have, losing games because of that. And then... And this is my personal opinion. This is a long conversation that Syracuse fans have been having for years. I think the two-three zone is out of date. Um, I yeah. think Jim Beheim's coaching style is out of date. I just think that it's not what it needs to be for 2020 college basketball. Um, and I think this program will only continue to degress if Jim Beheim is at the helm uh, with his old grouchy attitude trying to lead <laughs> this team on. Well, that's hard to follow. I thought I was that's on the I have. grouchy side. I have them at a five, and okay. I have some stats here that support why, because I thought that was maybe a little bit on the downside. And look, they have made it to two Final Fours in the past eight years. I value the tournament. I do think the tournament's important, and there's something to be said that no one really does want to play them in March, although... All they've done has been on the bubble for the past six years now. And even a couple of seasons, they haven't even been on the bubble. So this is a team for six years now. You bring up Dior Johnson. Think about him. He's 16 years old, I think, a sophomore in high school right now. Yeah. He mentioned yeah. those comments about Syracuse isn't a blue blood. And 
some people around these parts got a little upset at that. But to a 16-year-old kid, all he's seen from Syracuse is them be a fluky 10 seed in the tournament a couple of times and then be perpetually on the bubble. So in the past six seasons for Syracuse, and these are staggering stats. I was even appalled going through this. They have lost 84 games in the past six seasons. Every single year, they've lost at least 13 games. And that was only one year they lost just 13. Every other year, they've lost at least 14 in the past six seasons. So you got to keep in mind, too, like they would have lost at least 15 this year, if not for the game ending on or the season ending on a win. They may have lost more that one year. They had a postseason ban. So it could be more than 84 losses, but it's at 84 losses. Here's the neighborhood of programs they're in with 84 losses. You've got NC State also has 84. Clemson has 84 losses, the same amount in the past six years. I mean, think about how we view Clemson basketball, right? We view that as just a bad ACC program, and that's how they've yeah, been for the past they're six a football. years. They're a football yeah. school. They're not a basketball school. And that's where Syracuse is. They're right in line with as many games as Clemson has lost. NC State, 84, as I mentioned. Virginia Tech, 85, another ACC team. But think about Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame, if anything, is stocked down. That's a team that used to be parallel to Syracuse in the Big East, had a lot of similarities. If anything, Syracuse was a better program, definitely a better program than Notre Dame back in the day. But they've always been well-respected. They have a good coach. They're, if anything, stocked down right now. They've had some bad injury luck, some unfortunate seasons. They've lost 74 games in the past six seasons, 10 less than Syracuse. And they're stocked down, a program that used to be lower than Syracuse. Providence is also probably stocked down, 78 games. Miami, another team we think of as a bad ACC team, 77 games. So that's way less than Syracuse's 84. South Carolina, 81. Like These are programs that are not synonymous with being winning programs, and they're winning more games than Syracuse in a pretty large body of work here. This is six seasons now, and I don't think it's going to get better next year given that roster we just talked about. They have not performed in the ACC tournament. In the the six years before these past six seasons, so 2009 to 2014, they lost 42 games. They have doubled that since. That is a fall from grace in the regular season, and I know they've had some good tournament runs, but if you want respect, if you want your program to be up there as a 7, as an 8, as a top team in the ACC, you got to finish at least top six in the conference once. They have not finished inside the top six in the ACC in the past six years. you got to be doing it in the regular season, and they're simply not doing that. So it seems like you're on my side, but you're still only giving them a five? Well, it, to me, I, I do think the tournament stuff is worth acknowledging because not many teams can say they've been to two Final Fours in the past eight years. They also have the Sweet 16 right. run, and – they do seem to win a couple big games each year to stay nationally relevant. They've had some players go to the NBA. There's a lot of stuff that still supports us. And maybe I looked at it from a greater picture too, of like when you think of Syracuse basketball, because as you said, you were kind of looking at it from just what is, what have you done for me lately? If you do that, I mean, I think you could go down to three or a four. I think UConn and Georgetown are also programs that have probably been worse. Pittsburgh, too. Like, it could be worse, but for what Syracuse basketball was, from 2009 to 2014, they were consistently a top-five seed and consistently known for being really good in the regular season. And sure, the ACC is tougher competition. 
They've played some tougher games in non-conference, you could say. But, I mean, they're just not beating anyone in the non-conference these past couple years. Like some of these teams I just mentioned, South Carolina crushed them at the Barclays Center about four years ago now. They can't win a game in New York in non-conference play. Like that never used to be the case. So you've got to figure it out in the regular season if you want to be known for something. Because right now they are known for being that team on the bubble, and that's how it should be. It's been six straight years, and honestly, this year they weren't even on the bubble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I think we both agree. I think you're taking a little wider of a view of historically they are still a good program. I just took took the prompt as where is their state – where's their program right now heading after this year, heading into next year. And yeah, they had those final four runs. That doesn't mean anything to this roster um, and this personnel going into next year. Uh, So I'm going to stick with my three, but I I also see your arguments. Yeah. I think if we had this conversation in three years, like I think the numbers, if anything, going to be lower. So that's where I'm at in terms of the future of the program. And I kind of side with you in that regard but anyway if you have a number in your head if you disagree with us feel free to tweet at us at orange fizz again we're going one to ten ten being the highest i say five for the syracuse program right now jaron says three so tough times around syracuse but we will be back in a little bit to wrap up the show with fizz feedback we'll also talk about dior johnson that's a bright spot for syracuse right now the five-star recruit who we hope is coming in 2022 we'll talk about him on twitter and his Twitter activity this week. He was quote tweeting Orange Fizz this week. So we'll get into that next. This is Fizz Radio. Closing up shop here on Fizz Radio. Time for Fizz feedback. Put out some polls on Twitter at Orange Fizz. As always, if you comment on these polls, we will shout you out here on the Score 1260. We are here every Saturday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Tim Leonard, Jaron May with you this week, and we will be here the rest of coronavirus weeks at this point working from home (laughs) working remotely trying to make it through and give you guys a distraction and right now we did have a lot to talk about this week Syracuse basketball related but we put out a poll Jaron that was a little bit related to next year and what our expectations are for Syracuse basketball there were four options on our poll on Twitter NIT was the first option bubble and I even threw in parentheses again because as we talked about this is now six going on maybe seven years on the bubble which is a sad state of affairs. The other options, seven to nine seed in the NCAA tournament, which they were, I guess, the year before. So maybe that year they technically weren't on the bubble, but they were flirting with it at times and got that Duke win to help propel them to the nine seed before they lost in the first round. Other option is six seed or better right now. Where do you fall in terms of next year? I'm guessing you're going to be pretty out, but are you NIT out? No, I'm I'm NIT out. Yeah, I don't think they're a bubble team. Um, because this team, like we've talked about, they have no depth. Um, even their starting five does not push. It is, is not any better than this past season. Um, in this past season, they were an NIT bound team. And now you lose Elijah Hughes, your best player. And you have to rely on a big improvement from Joe Girard, a big improvement from Buddy Bayheim, and a big improvement from Quincy Garrier. And then hopefully Brahma Sidibe can be somewhat manageable and actually be able to control his limbs. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I don't think this team is any better than can an, get that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think this I, team is any better than an NIT team. Right. I, I'm I'm close to NIT. I said bubble again because 
I think they just, I mean, that's just where they live. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they pick up a transfer here too. Although at this point, if it's not Seth Towns, I don't know who you're really going to get to erase my fear of who's going to be that guy offensively. Because I think Gerard's good. I think he had a really good freshman season, but he took some awful shots. I mean, there's no denying that. He's an aggressive player, and I think he's only going to get better, but can he catapult him to like an all-ACC caliber player next year? Who knows? But he probably can. But again, Buddy as the number one is different than the number two. So I said bubble. That's leading the way right now. 39% of our voters at Orange Fizz on Twitter said bubble. 30.9%, so 31% side with you and NIT. That's second. Seven to nine seed in the NCAA tournament has 16% of the vote. And six seed or better, 14% are, are optimistic about next year. So, they haven't been a six seed or better in forever. I did the math on that. And that's about at this current moment when we're recording this, that's 27 people out of 191 votes think that they're going to be a six seed or better. And I honestly, if you're one of those 27 people, please tweet at us because I, I need to hear your rationale. I have no idea in what world you think that Syracuse men's basketball is going to be a six seed or better in 2021. Yeah. Maybe they're thinking Elijah's <laughs> going to come back. I, and Jim Beheim said in that article we keep mentioning with Matthew Gutierrez, the Q&A, he was like, if Elijah comes back, he'll be ACC Player of the Year and we may win the league. And to me, that just felt like him sort of like recruiting Elijah to come back and hoping he'd see yeah. that and talking that way to you know have wishful thinking in the scenario. Because, I mean, we haven't heard anything inside sources-wise, but Elijah Hughes is 22 right now. If he's going to go... This is his time. I mean, it makes, it makes no sense logical sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it just doesn't make sense for him as a basketball player to choose Syracuse again rather than what has been his best basketball season as a college hooper. Um, just go to the league, get your money, start playing. What what more can he prove, right? So anyway, exactly. we got a response here at Orange Fizz as well. Tom H, Tom Harnett, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, 21. Responded and said, with the current roster construction, they're a JG3 slash buddy sprained ankle away from staring Bayheim's first losing season in the face. Tom, I agree with you. That's a good point because they don't yeah. have a backup point guard anymore, technically. I mean, Kadari Richmond, I guess, is that guy, but he's only a freshman. So especially if JG3 goes down, you're really in trouble because who's bringing the ball up? Who's facilitating? And I mean, even Joe Girard, we didn't think was a quote unquote point guard when he came here. They're very dry in that area. Right. I mean, he's Girard is very solid off the ball coming off screens, uh, shoot and catch type of guy. And if you didn't want him bringing the ball up this past season, you could just give it to Elijah Hughes. But without Hughes next season, you're just you don't have anybody to bring the ball up. So, yeah, Tom, you hit the nail on the head right there. That is exactly what this team's kryptonite is. You not you need to keep those two players uh, healthy. So before we go here, I want to defend myself a little bit because I put out that, <laughs> that tweet about Dior Johnson, and it started kind of a firestorm here, and Dior Johnson did quote to it. I think he's since deleted the tweet, so if you can't, you can't go back and see it, but He's also tweeted since and put Q's commit back in his bio. But what I said on Twitter, I think this was earlier in the week now, maybe Tuesday, I said it could be nothing, but Dior Johnson has deleted some Syracuse-related Instagram posts and removed Syracuse commit from his Twitter bio. 
And I will say a lot of people commented and responded and said, that's probably not nothing. And Dior Johnson has since squashed that. So it seems like he is firmly committed, but kind of odd timing, right? With three transfers to remove that. And in this day and age with social media, I thought it was worth mentioning. I did say it could be nothing, but yeah. he since squashed it. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, it was a little scary. I honestly, I, I'm just glad that he is uh, representing the brand and getting Orange Fizz out there for everyone <laughs> yeah. to see. Yeah, exactly. We thank you for that, Dior. And if you ever want to come on Fizz Radio here and talk about it, we're, we're welcome. Welcome invitation, <laughs> open invitation for Dior Johnson, who's one of the lone bright spots we talked about in this episode. Kind of an angry Fizz Radio episode. We thank you for joining us. As always, we will be back next week with a fresh episode right here on The Score 1260 from 9 to 10 a.m. For Jaron, I'm Tim. And until then, we will talk to you guys next week. Stay safe, everyone.